All right, well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series, actually finishing our series on overcoming discouragement. And I know that for a lot of us, discouragement is one of those things that we face on a very regular basis. Discouragement is a part and parcel of our lives. And yet, at the same time, it's easy for discouragement to kind of happen to us and us to kind of just minimize it, wish it away, or worse, perhaps, say that, well, we're Christians and Christians don't face discouragement. However, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, that if you are here this morning and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are more likely to face discouragement than a non-believer in Jesus Christ. So let me say that again for those of you that haven't been here. If you are a believer in Christ, you are more likely to have faced discouragement than a believer in Christ, than someone who is not a believer in Christ. Why? The reality is, is that because we are believers in Christ, there is a spiritual dimension. There is a spiritual dimension to who we are. There is a spiritual dimension to the battles that we face. There is a spiritual dimension that is not always present in other people. Am I saying that other people don't have a spirit? No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that when you're playing for the home team, you don't have to worry about the crowd. And people who are playing for the home team are people who do not have a relationship with Christ. So they don't have to worry about the crowd. But you know what? If you're going to go and you're going to play and be the visiting team, you're going to go to Lambeau Field, play the Packers in the ice cold weather and deal with the crowd, it makes it that much more difficult. And so those of us, some of you don't know the football analogy, the point I'm making is, is that when we are on someone else's turf, as the Bible says that we are as believers in Christ, it makes it that much more difficult, that much more discouraging. Okay, overcoming discouragement. This has been our very practical, I hope, three-week series. As I mentioned, some of you are facing discouragement, some of you are not. The ones who are not facing discouragement, it's not time for you to just Go to sleep during the next 35 minutes, but to keep in mind some of these principles because, number one, at some point in time in your life or another, you will face discouragement, even if you're telling me today that you don't face discouragement right now. And number two, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have family members who are facing discouragement, and you need to be able to do your part and minister to them as Christ would have you do. So what does it mean to overcome discouragement? What does it mean to deal with and overcome discouragement? Our three-week series then is saying no to discouragement. We don't like discouragement. Who likes to be discouraged? Well, some of us might say, yeah, because it feels normal. It's natural. We're always discouraged, so it feels normal. But it's not the normal approach that God wants us to take to life. So our three-week series of being able to say no to discouragement. Now, one of the issues that's come up over the last couple weeks, and I realize is that a lot of times I find that when pastors and churches deal with this issue, they deal with it simplistically. They say, well, discouragement is sin. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't be discouraged. But that is, A, not true, because the Bible's full of discouraged people, number one. And number two, and of course you could say, well, they were all sinners. Well, okay, yes, that's true. But number two is that discouragement is a difficult issue. It's not something that we can easily tackle. Dealing with discouragement is something that takes hard work and perseverance. It's something that people like, as we've talked about last couple of weeks, Paul and Jonah and Elijah, they had difficult times with dealing with discouragement. So it is not impossible for us to think that it will be difficult also for us 
to deal with discouragement, but by the power of God, we are able to deal with discouragement and actually overcome discouragement and to be able to be a success. Yes, I'm using that word in church, but I don't mean financially. Yes, a success in the eyes of the Lord, which is what we all want to do. So our three-week series of saying no to discouragement. Here's our strategy real quickly. The first week we talked about the sources of discouragement. And really what we did was I gave some examples. Yes, for some of you in life groups you've mentioned, I created artificial boundaries, I know, but to be able to communicate something of this type of magnitude and depth, you have to set up some artificial boundaries. And so I talked about three sources of discouragement. Number one, physical discouragement. Number two, emotional discouragement. And number three, spiritual discouragement. And we see all three of those types in the Bible. What is physical discouragement? Last week, we're going to deal with this. What is physical discouragement? When we don't eat right, when we don't sleep right, when we don't take care of our bodies, or we susceptible to physical discouragement if we're a believer? Yes, we absolutely are. Can, we, can I do much with physical discouragement? No. What should you do? Go see your doctor. You should go talk to someone who can help you get on the right path physically and that sort of thing. A lot of times pastors, I gave the example, especially are workaholics and they spend all their time, they don't sleep, they don't eat, they spend all their time worrying about people and trying to build buildings and do all this crazy kind of stuff. And in the end, it gives them a heart attack when they're 45 or 50 years old. Is that what God wants for our lives? No, it's not what God wants for our lives. There's always going to be a certain amount of physical hardship, but God's plan is not for you to kill yourself because you worked your fingers to a nub, whether you work for a company or whether you work for God, doesn't matter. It's the issue of taking care of yourself. Now, number two, we talked about what? Emotional discouragement. And we dealt with that more last week. But emotional discouragement comes in a lot of times when we have our priorities out of whack. If we put our job number one and God number four, what happens? Well, at the top, number one, the pyramid of our lives, number one, we have our job, what happens? Our job, does it add emotional strength to us or sap our emotional strength? It saps it. That's right. Very good. And so what happens is if we put our job number one, we have something that pulls at our emotions and drains our emotions rather than putting God at the top. When we have God at the top, what happens? The, the biggest push and the biggest encouragement in our lives is at the top. So if you have God first in your lives, then you have the greatest source of encouragement first in your lives. If you put your job four, five, or six where it belongs, what happens is, is that you minimize the energy sapping, the emotional draining aspect of your life. So source of discouragement, also spiritual discouragement. We're going to talk about that this week. If we are believers in Christ, we will encounter spiritual discouragement. It's not an if, it's a when. Well, actually, can we say it like this? It is an if. Because if you're not living for God at all, and you're just nominally baby walk kind of this occasionally Easter and Christmas kind of Christian, if that's even a Christian, then are you going to face spiritual discouragement? No, not so much, because you're not really trying anything. You're just, you're kind of, you know, you're, instead of getting in the pool, you're kind of, no, I don't want to get in the pool. No, it's not for me. Stay out here, right? So there's a limited amount of discouragement that you'll face. But at the same time, when we go and we try to do something for the Lord, if we try to do anything, we try to get out of comfort zone in any way, you know, even if we're Easter Christmas kind of Christian and suddenly we decide we don't want to be like that anymore, that may seem sort of small compared to, say, Paul, but it's big in our lives and we're going to face a lot of discouragement for that. Why? Because we're actually getting into the pool, actually getting into the pool. Last week we talked about emotional discouragement and we talked about some of the issues surrounding dealing with emotional discouragement. It's very easy for us to become emotionally discouraged. Why is, uh, I mentioned last week, what is one of the difficulties of dealing with emotional discouragement from a biblical context? Does anybody remember? 
What's one of the difficulties of dealing with emotion? I know it's a hard question. This was not the point last week. But what was one of the, what is one of the hard things dealing with it in the Bible? Well, their emotional issues were very different than ours. We talked about last week the fact that we have, a lot of us have emotional frustration and we're emotionally drained when we commute to work. How many of you like to commute to work? How many of you like to work? Enjoy it. Love it. Just getting in the car, love to commute. Some of you. No, nobody. Did people in the ancient world commute? No. They got out of their house. They opened the front door. There was their coats. There was their cabbage. That's what they did. They didn't commute. They didn't have that frustration. We have a lot of emotional frustration that people in the Bible never imagined. And as a result of it, we have to dig a little deeper to try to understand how to deal with emotional discouragement. We looked at an example of the lady in the Bible who demanded justice against her enemies as an example of the way that we must go to God and want encouragement from him. All right, today we're going to talk about this issue of spiritual discouragement. And as I was working through this this week, I realized there's so much to cover. I can't possibly do it all. So again, let me just mention the warning. Discouragement is a big topic. We can't cover every possible issue. I may not hit on your issue of discouragement. I'm sorry if I don't, but it's just such a huge topic that I'm just going to throw some principles against the wall of your life and hope that they will stick. So here we go. Spiritual discouragement. I'm going to see what the Bible says. There are better passages, perhaps, that target spiritual discouragement, but I thought this one in Joshua. I really like this one. So I thought, you know what? I changed my mind, and I thought we'll do Joshua. So let's look in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. Plus, I like it when we can read a passage in context rather than skipping around. But Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. Let's look here at the beginning of the book of Joshua and see what the discouragement that Joshua faced and how he handled it, or more specifically, what God told him to do on hand to handle this discouragement. So Joshua chapter 1, uh, you're welcome to open in your print Bibles, your iPhone, your smartphone, whatever you have, your Galaxy, doesn't matter. Open it up so we can look at it. See what the Bible says, Joshua chapter 1, um, verse 1 through 9. All right, here we go. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Now, here's the thing to remember. In the ancient world, Moses... Because of the parting of the Red Sea and a whole bunch of other things, Moses was considered, well, really important. In fact, if you were not a follower of God, you might almost consider Moses to be what? What did some people in the ancient world consider Moses to be? Well, I would go even further and I would say almost God or a God. Because remember, in the polytheistic world that a lot of the ancient people lived in, the, the difference between, they didn't have a view of there being one God who was so far superior to us that they couldn't imagine. They had the idea of gods who were a lot like people. They had petty issues, and you know they were human gods. And so a lot of people that were outside of the people of God sometimes would even refer to Moses as being sort of divine. I mean, he had that sort of reputation. He was considered definitely to be an incredible hero and to be an incredible man that you couldn't even get near him because, hey, it's Moses. So here's Joshua, his lowly assistant. In the ancient world, my opinion is on this is that they didn't really, the assistant was not afforded the respect that we have today. It was an apprentice apprenticeship kind of thing. So there was some respect. People really respected Joshua, but the difference between Joshua and Moses was huge. But here's what happened. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. 
So, so traumatic was the death of Moses in Joshua's eyes and the people of God's eyes that God needed to speak directly to Joshua and give him some encouragement. Be strong and courageous. This is God speaking. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left or to the right. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Now, that's an interesting statement. We don't have time to get into it, but what was the book of instruction? Well, they didn't have a Bible then. Not really. So it was the, it was the truths of God that they had written down before the Bible actually even existed. Meditate on day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Notice God keeps saying over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, a couple ideas here real quickly this morning is that number one, we need to recognize and know who is in control. Now, this is a big issue. It's bigger than we might think. Some of you will be tempted as I talk about this point to think, oh, I know this. Go to sleep now. Because we intellectually accept this as truth. But knowing it and believing it and holding on to it are different issues. They're different issues. There are a lot of times in life where we intellectually accept, accept things, but we don't necessarily hold on to them with conviction or with passion or with commitment. Many of you have lived outside the U.S. I've lived outside the U.S., and like many of you have lived outside the U.S. In the U.S., we like to say that we have a free country, and we can do whatever we want. We have a free country. Now, if that's true or not, that's, that's a question. That's an issue. But when you go to another country, some of those countries aren't exactly free. In some of those countries, it can be rather quite difficult to speak our mind or do the things that we want to. We see and we understand, intellectually know that we have a lot of freedoms. We enjoy a lot of freedoms in the U.S., but a lot of times we don't really have the conviction of it until we're outside the U.S., until we realize that some countries and some place in the world do not share the freedoms that we possess. So in the same way, it's easy for us to intellectually know that God is in control of our lives. But let's break it down and talk a little bit about what it really means for God to be in control. Listen, knowing who is in control, let me give you a hint. Who is not in control? It's not you. That's not who's in control. I know that the myth of the modern world is that you are in control of your life. You are the captain of your destiny. However, I want to argue with you here this morning that that is not biblically accurate. And in fact, you'll find out real quickly that you are the captain of, well, nothing. Why? Because you can't even pre prevent your own demise. You can't prevent your own sickness. You can't prevent yourself from being fired. You can't prevent yourself from being laid off. You can't prevent yourself from doing really anything. You could tilt at the windmills of life all you want, but in the end, the problem is, unfortunately, you have limited control. Now, the control you do have is important, and I'm not minimizing the importance of it. We'll come back to that in a second. But when we talk about how things work in our world, ultimately, God is the one who is in control, and we want to recognize that. Listen, let, let me, before we begin, let's talk about some sources of spiritual discouragement. I did that last week with emotional discouragement. I think it'd be good to do it here as well. Sources of spiritual discouragement. Number one, these are not the only source, but here's some ones I thought of. Neglecting God. 
If you neglect God as a believer, you're going to face spiritual discouragement. Why? Because you're designed to worship God. You were created to be in relationship with Him. If you neglect Him, it's going to cause you to be discouraged. You know, a lot of times when I do marriage counseling, it's the same way. A lot of times the guy thinks, well, you know, I don't need the lady. I can just ignore her. But that's idiotic because what happens is he ends up wanting it back all over again. A lot of times, most of the time. They're honest. And so what happens is when you neglect a relationship that you are committed to, then it damages you and it discourages you spiritually. Focusing on you or your role. This is one of the things that gets us a lot of times here in the Bay Area. A source of spiritual discouragement is if we focus too much on who? Ourselves. Because when we focus on ourselves, our priority is where? Wrong. We're focusing on ourselves rather than focusing on the main thing. What about focusing on what you deserve? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and a lot of people really like that I brought this up. Is that what? As Christians, we feel like, hey, we're God's children. I deserve a house like that. I deserve a car like that. I deserve respect like that. I deserve a woman like that. I deserve a man like that. I deserve this. I deserve that. And we blow ourselves up and our ego becomes bigger and bigger and bigger because suddenly we feel like we deserve everything. Let's be honest. How many of you don't deserve to be rich? All of us deserve to be rich, right? We all do. We all deserve to be rich. We all work hard. We all think we, it's owed to us. But the reality is, is that instead of focusing on what we think we deserve to get away from spiritual discouragement, we need to focus on what we think God wants for us in our lives. We'll talk about that in a second. After a previous victory for God. Now, this is causing debate in one of the life groups because people are like, what? You know, you can have a victory for God and be discouraged? Yeah, because that's the way life is. You have ups, you have downs. It's a natural order of life. And so what happens is even after a huge victory for the Lord, that's one of the darkest times for a lot of people. You know, you could, I'm going to tell you, promise you, if you go and you're praying and praying and praying every day for someone to become a believer in Christ, and they do, that week you're going to feel like a million bucks. But then the next week or two, what's going to happen? It's going to go down in the dumps. Why? Because the victory has already been won, and now it feels sort of anticlimactic afterwards. Attacks of the enemy, we did mention that a couple weeks ago, right? And the enemy doesn't want you to succeed. And the more you try to succeed, the more he's going to attack you. That's just the way it works. If you're not doing anything, he ain't going to attack you. Why? Waste of resources. Doesn't need to. He's not dumb. He's pretty smart. And just living in the world. Because no matter what the books or the TV people may tell you, The reality is that when we live in the world as believers in Christ, we will face discouragement. There's no way around it. Okay, so here's the thing. Joshua probably felt alone and abandoned. I mean, here's Joshua here, and he is trying to live for God and do what is good. And overall, the Bible sees Joshua as being a man who really loved God and really lived for God most of his life. But the reality is that Joshua struggled with this issue because the man that he had looked up to, his master, so to speak, more than his coach, but the man he had looked up to was now dead, and leading Israel was now on his shoulders. And even if some people here would be like, woohoo, I'm in charge now. That's awesome. The problem is Joshua was a little too honest and realized that the task that he had before him was huge. The task that he had before him was monumental. 
He wasn't foolish and didn't realize the task that he had. So probably Joshua felt very alone and very abandoned. And he needed to know that God was with him. And so this is the reason why God speaks to Joshua and tells him over and over again, listen, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will do this. God's saying, listen, be encouraged because I have given you this time and place for a reason. We'll pick this up in just a second. It's normal for us in life to feel alone and abandoned at times. That is not abnormal. Why? The Bible says that we are strangers in a strange land. We are aliens. This, we, this is not our home. We are citizens of another place. And so because we are citizens of another place, because we are not left alone, because we, have, because we do live in hostile territory, so to speak, it is easy for us to feel alone and to feel abandoned. But part of this, part of this life is demonstrating our faith and glorifying God even in the midst of it. Let's go back to this idea of glorifying God because we've been talking about this a little bit. If you never were discouraged because your life was perfect, would that bring glory to God? Well, not really, not, not so much, not given the situation that we exist in now. Because the problem is, is that that just is, well, easy. If everything's perfect, it just becomes, well, too easy. But when we are here in our lives and we have tangible victories because of what God does in our lives, that brings glory to him. And also, it brings blessing to us. Now, we could, of course, live in an escapist fantasy where everything's perfect, but that doesn't do any good either. So there's no point even dwelling on it. But the reality is, even if that were possible, it doesn't bring as much glory to God as us being able to be here today and fight the good fight for him. So Joshua probably felt alone and abandoned. How to know God is in control? Let's see the big picture. How do we go from recognizing intellectually that God is in control to internalizing that God is in control? Well, let me ask you a question. I think we just sang about it, but who hangs the stars in the sky and makes, the, makes everything move and does everything? Well, science, right? But not really because science is just an explanation of what is going on. Science doesn't actually do anything. Science just attempts to explain the world in the way that we can understand. So who actually makes it? Who actually put everything in order and started it going? Well, if you're a Christian here today, you know the truth is God. Now, if you're a scientific person, you could say, well, see, it just kind of happened. And anyway, but who, of course, caused the happening to happen? Well, that's philosophy, not science. If you ask a pure scientist, they'll tell you that. And so, but we know that the happening that happened to happen to happen was really God. And so that's a way that we can sort of intellectually know that God is in control. But that doesn't comfort us, does it? It doesn't actually do anything to comfort us. Why? Because knowing that God can move the stars and the oceans, that doesn't comfort me personally. I mean, I know it does a little bit, but it's just so big, so beyond imagining. How to know God is in control? Well, what are some of the ways that we can see that God is in control in our lives? Let me give you one example. One of the best ways to see that God is in control is the way that David did. David saw that God was in control because he did what? What did David do whenever he was discouraged and he needed to know that God was in control? What did he do? Did he look at the stars? Well, I'm not sure that he did. What did he do? David would always reflect back on what? what God had done in the past. Let me give you an example. Psalm 77 says this, and this is David, 
And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Okay, so he's discouraged. God hates me. That's what David's saying here. How many of you ever felt like God hates you? You don't have to raise your hand, but as a Christian, it's okay. Because David felt that way. I mean, literally, he said, I mean, let's just break it down in the fancy English that we have to use in the Bibles to the original language. God hates me. That's what he says. But then, David says, I recall all that you have done in the past, God. I remember your wonderful deeds that you've done in the past. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So what David's saying here is, listen, God, I know, I feel like you hate me. I, I really feel like you hate me. But when I start feeling that way, and I feel like you hate me, why? Because I'm discouraged, nothing's going right. This is in the Bible. So you would think that somebody saying, I think God hates me is not in the Bible, but there it is, just really clear. David felt like that. And then, because he's honest. And then he says, but you know, the thing that works for me is to reflect back on the great things that God has done in the past. What has God done in the past? What has God done to help me in the past? And of course, David can list tons and tons of things. Look, let me, let me just mention to you, I've, I've mentioned this example before, but if you want to know how someone's going to behave, what do, you, what do you do? When you hire someone, if you have a job and you hire someone, maybe you're going to hire a landscaper. Maybe you're going to hire someone to be a nanny or cut the grass. What do you do? You call their references. Why? Because you want to know what they've done in the past. If, if you're going to hire a nanny, do you just hire them because they're available or do you check out a little bit before you entrust your kids with them? Well, you better. That's right. You better check the background. So if you call around, you find out, you call the first person, hey, I'm calling about a reference on this nanny. Yeah, her name's Jane. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think about Jane? And, and they say, well... Jane was terrible. She abused the kids. She was irresponsible. But you could hire if you want to. And you hang up the phone. Do you hire Jane? Yes. No, you don't hire Jane. Why don't you hire Jane? When we talk about God, what happens? Does our voice trail off about what God has done? Do we, do we say, well, God has done a little bit. Or if we're a believer in Christ, can we point to actual things that God has done in our lives? So that when we are discouraged, that we can see the bigger picture. I mean, when we're encouraged and we feel good about God, and we see the things that he's done, then we know it's easy to say, oh yeah, God's in control, it's awesome, I feel it, you know, things are going great. But when we get discouragement, one of the things that works very well is to just simply take a moment, sit down, and think back over all the things that God has done in your life. And that will demonstrate to you that God is still there, even if you don't feel like he's there. By the way, emotions are what? I mean, let's just be honest here for a second. Are emotions your friends or your enemies? Your personal emotions that you have in your body, is it your friend or your enemy most of the time? It's your enemy. Very good, Helen. That's right. Your emotions a lot of times are your enemy. Why? Because your emotions will lie to you. Your emotions will lie to you. Number two is that beyond recognizing that God is in control, it's important that we deepen our relationship with God. Even in the times of discouragement, that's the most important time to actually deepen our relationship. When things are good, we feel like things are good, and it doesn't challenge us to deepen our relationship with God. But when things are bad and we're discouraged, what does it do? It opens the door for us to actually do what? To actually be challenged to go deeper with God. Listen, what does the Bible say here? Be... Joshua, uh, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. 
What is he saying here? Obey God. Listen to God. Grow in your relationship with God. This is paramount. This is key. This is the essence of what needs to happen. Here's the thing. Even before they had books, Joshua was told to study a book about God. Okay, I find that ironic. Now, of course, I'm not being totally literal because they did have books, just not quite exactly like we have them. But even before the Bible actually existed, what does God actually tell Joshua to do? The traditions that have been written down about me, study those. Study those. Wow. This is a big deal. You know why it's a big deal? It's a big deal because from the beginning, God wanted his people to read the Bible or whatever existed as the Bible then, wanted to read and learn about who he was. How can you deepen your relationship with God probably more than anything else? Sometimes I think number one is probably taking a step out in faith and actually doing something for the Lord in a big way. I kind of put that as being number one. But certainly number two is what? Studying the Bible and understanding who God is and learning about him. As I mentioned last week, when you face emotional discouragement, you cannot possibly know how to deal with it in a godly way if you've never read the stories of Job and you never read the stories of Ruth and you never read the stories of other people, of Paul in the Bible who faced discouragement. How do you deal with it? How many of you like to have pity parties for yourself? You want to raise hands on this one? Okay, we have two honest people in the room. I think most of us like to have pity parties for ourselves because the world wasn't fair to us and we didn't get what we deserved. We all do that. We all have pity parties for ourselves. But, you know, again, the Bible is the antidote for that because when we read God's word, we see very clearly what he expects of us and what he wants us to do. So, again, I don't want you to feel discouraged by the example I just shared. But I do want to challenge you that most of the answers, if not all the answers that you are looking for when it comes to an issue of discouragement, is going to be found in the Bible. Why do I say not all? Well, if you're not eating right, that's in the Bible, but go see a medical doctor also. If you have a thyroid issue, again, go see a medical doctor also. But when we deal with this issue, when we, when, when we struggle with spiritual discouragement, so many of the answers that we're seeking are just simply found in the pages of the Bible. Even so that Joshua himself, when he was there, God said, listen, study the Bible and you will find the truth that you are looking for, even before the Bible even existed. I mean, Joshua didn't have all this. He didn't have Jesus. He didn't, there's no New Testament. There wasn't even the prophets or the writings. It was just a little bit, and yet God referred him to his word. So to know God, we must know to the right and to the left. What, is, what does God tell Joshua to do here? He says, listen, be careful to obey all the instructions that God gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left, to the left or to the right. Where does spiritual discouragement come from? We just talked about several of the issues. Where does it come from? Deviating to the left and the right of what God wants for you. If you go back to all that long list I put up there, every one of them except the last two have to do with us deviating to the left or to the right and not staying centered on what God wants for our lives. Now, this is harder said than done. Because we all don't know exactly, with the detail that we would like, what God's will for our lives is. Although that's technically a half-truth. But it's, we don't know tomorrow, sometimes, what we're supposed to do. 
But sometimes when we don't know what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do what? Go to God and find out what it is. Other times we do what? Just get going. Thirdly, accept God's direction. Accept God's direction. Here's the thing. Joshua was obedient to God's plan for his life. Obedience also works wonders for discouragement. If you're discouraged, spiritually discouraged, what should you do more than anything else? Let me ask it this way. If you're spiritually discouraged, what is the thing that your, your emotions and your body is going to tell you to do? Just stay home from church this week. Just don't worry about reading the Bible. It's just, you know, it's not really help anything. Oh, God, schmod. I don't want to deal with it. I'm pity. And yet, when we don't have a word from God, what are we supposed to do? Be obedient. Do not deviate from the path. Stay on the path that God put for you. This is critical because it's easy for us to get off the path by going our own direction, by meandering and wandering. Listen, the road that God wants us to take is that away. But what do we do? We walk this away. We go the wrong way. Do we go the wrong way necessarily because we're trying to be disobedient? Not necessarily. We go the wrong we can go the wrong way for that reason, but we go the wrong way a lot of times simply because we just feel bad and we just want to just we're just going to walk down here just a little bit. I'm just going to kind of tiptoe down this lane just to see if it's any better. You know, maybe if I go this way instead of God's way, maybe it'll be better. Maybe I'll feel better. And what would David tell us? You know from past experience that it's not better. So why are you going to go and do that? Why go and do something you know that's not going to help? That's why, Moses, that's why God told Joshua, do what Moses did. He told Joshua, don't deviate to the right or left, because every time you deviate, you sidetrack, and you get off the path that God wants for you. God wants you to be on the right path, not the wrong path. He never has a wrong path. Wrong path, not in the vocabulary of God. Wrong path, we like wrong path. Wrong path makes us feel better. Wrong path is enjoyable. But you get off the wrong path enough over and over and over again, it's harder to get on the right path again. So it'd be better just to be obedient. Can we admit that God's plan is best? Can we admit that God's plan is best? Well, that's really a question that we face every Sunday, every day, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday. Because a lot of us, if we've read the Bible at all, listen, if you haven't read the Bible at all, then you, you probably don't know a lot about God's path. But you don't know enough to get on it to begin with. But if you read the Bible at all, you've been in church long enough here from hear me go blah, blah, blah every Sunday, you have a general idea of what God is calling you to do. Yes, it's harder. Yes, pity you, feel better if you just don't do it. But in the end, if you want to be strong and courageous as Joshua did, if you want to experience encouragement rather than discouragement, what do you have to do? You have to push through and you have to be obedient to God. Let me just give you an example. I feel discouraged. I feel discouraged. That's too strong. I feel discouraged. So our emotions tell us what? When we feel discouraged, just be like, I feel, I feel discouraged. I'm just going to sit here for a while. Is this going to help me feel encouraged? Does it ever help us feel encouraged? No, it doesn't. Why not? 
Because it's not trying to help you. It's not trying to solve anything in your life. It doesn't solve anything. But when we feel discouraged, what should we do? Push it aside, be strong and courageous, and follow the path that God has for you. Even if you don't have all the answers. First of all, that's what we call what? Faith, right? I mean, that is faith by technical definition. But even more importantly, that's being obedient to God. And even more importantly than that, it casts off the discouragement in your life. It's not a mind over matter kind of thing. We're not talking about that. It's not magical. It's just the fact that you're saying, listen, I'm admitting that I'm discouraged, but instead of wallowing in my discouragement, instead of accepting discouragement as the norm, I'm going to, just for a second, I'm going to put the discouragement to the side. I'm not forgetting about it. We talked about it last week. We can't forget about it. I'm not forgetting about it. I'm just going to put it aside for today, and today I'm going to serve the Lord. And you will find that if you do that enough, actually if you do that like once or twice, then the discouragement will be dispelled. Why? Because God will put you on the path that he wants for you. Try it. Try it sometime and do it. Now, the verse I forgot to include in my message is in the New Testament. And it basically says, I'm going to paraphrase, I can't quote it, but it's going to paraphrase. And Paul says, listen, if you feel discouraged, this is a paraphrase, but if you feel discouraged, get busy doing what God wants you to do. Because in your busyness, in your working for him, in your obedience, it dispels all the other things because you're focusing on who? Discouraged? I don't feel good. Who are you focusing on? Me. But when you step out and you do what God asks, who are you focusing on now? You're focusing on him. When you put the focus on God, the emphasis on God, you're putting what? The greatest source of good and positive in your life the greatest source of emotional strength in your life first, and you're putting yourself second. And by the way, that's a good way to rebuild emotionally and spiritually because God is now forefront in your life. So here's where the question comes down to. Let me summarize the series, if I will, in 30 seconds. The reality is that we all face discouragement. Sometimes it'll be physical. In that situation, you definitely need to deal with it. Go see a doctor, go see a nutritionist, whatever the issue is. Deal with, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're a workaholic, Deal with your workaholism. Emotional, spiritual discouragement we do face. They're interconnected. Emotional discouragement comes because, well, we struggle. We, we, we make mistakes. We, we do things in our lives that we, we, we regret and we, we don't do the things. We put things in wrong priorities. We get everything messed up. But the spiritual discouragement even underlies that because when we struggle as believers, it's easy for us to just accept the fate that we feel that we have. Or for us to envision that our fate should be different than it is rather than accept what God wants for you to do. So here's the thing. A lot of times in our lives, we'll just be tempted to do what? To go off the path that God has for us, to ignore it, to abandon it, to, to be discouraged by it. But if we want to have real encouragement, not fake platitude, oh, you're a Christian, you don't need to feel discouraged. If you want to have real encouragement in your lives, then God is going to be the answer. Not because it's a platitude, but because by faith you're going to him, building relationship with him, understanding the truth that he wants you to understand, and not deviating from the path that he has you on. Instead of looking to yourself for the answer, you look to God for the answer. Instead of saying, I'm going to sit here today and be discouraged, you get up, you take your cross, you walk on, you make the decision to follow God today, 
And in making that decision, it pushes, forces through the discouragement and brings you to a place of encouragement because of what God does in your life and because the Holy Spirit is always working, always active, always healing in your life as well. So my prayer for you today is that discouragement is something that we all face, but you don't need to stay in discouragement. Even if you have a great victory for God, you're going to have a moment of discouragement. But the difference between people who are successful in life How do we define success in life? Success in life is glorifying God, being faithful to everything he asks you to do. That is the definition of success in the Bible. And so to be successful in life, how do we do it? Do we do it by being discouraged? No. We be successful by what? Seeing the discouragement that we have and moving past it to glorify God by being encouraged, by being obedient to what he asks us to do. Let's pray.